Well, Hugh Pill from the Bank of England was obviously staring out the window in Cape Town when he was giving his speech last night, saying that the Bank of England policy was shaped like Table Mountain. So does that mean that they're on the flat for a long time, then all of a sudden everything's going to drop away? And is that the profile for most central banks now, like the Fed, for example? Are they gliding along the top with inflation and jobs perhaps under control? And is Europe still clambering to reach the top? What about the RBA? Inflation, obviously, in Europe is still very persistent. It's Friday, the 1st of September. Non-farm payrolls from the US later today. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Also today, we've got the weekend edition of the morning call. I'll be talking to JB Weir's Sally Ald about the different approaches being taken from country to country when it comes to tackling inflation. And one factor that might be helping the US more than most places is not actually monetary policy, but their fiscal approach. Some pretty big policy decisions through fiscal policy, like the CHIPS Act and the Inflation Reduction Act, um, that are actually not only spending a lot of money themselves, but also through the the work of incentives, spurring quite meaningful um, investment spend in the US. So, you know, I think fiscal policy, you're right to identify that because I think that is one of the the more differentiating factors in terms of what central banks have had to face into. That is the weekend edition out this afternoon. Worth a listen. Meanwhile, what about now? Well, this morning, the US dollar is stronger. It's up half a percent, even with a two basis point drop in 10-year treasury yields. Stocks are down. The Nasdaq wiped out most of the day's gains. It was up more than half a percent, just 0.1% at close, a 0.1% drop in the S&P 500, the Dow falling deeper towards the finish, closing half a percent down. In Europe, the Eurostox 50 well into the red, falling 0.4%, half percent down for the FTSE 100 as well. But the DAX is OK. It's up a third of 1% at close. Much bigger falls in bond yields in Europe as well. Ten-year buns down eight basis points. Same for much of continental Europe. In the UK, ten-year gilts are down six basis Basis points. Aussie 10-year yields also down, losing four basis points yesterday, down to 4.02%, then dipping below 4% on futures overnight. Meanwhile, back with currencies, the euro is down 0.7%, the pound has lost 0.4%, the yen is down half percent. The Aussie dollar, though, managed a 0.1% rise against that stronger US dollar. It's just over 64.8 US cents. And oil, a 2.4% rise in WTI, up for the fifth day in a row. Brent is up 1.2%. Dutch natural gas futures down 9.2%. That's 15% down since their recent peak on August the 22nd. Uh, a drop in the ocean, of course, compared to uh, where they were a year ago. So it looks like uh, doubly good news for Australia. Let's talk about that uh, with Ken Compton, who joins me from uh, NAB in Sydney. Uh, first of all, CapEx, those numbers that we saw yesterday, a bit higher than expected. So that's good. I mean, some good positive data from Australia, uh, but also positive signs from China as well. Uh, So presumably that's why the Aussie is holding its own, that sort of combination of of news. But let's look on the home front first. That bigger than expected increase in CapEx, particularly for buildings and structures, but also equipment, plant and machinery. So businesses are not hiding, are they? It looks like they're planning for growth. Uh, you'd assume so anyway, looking at these numbers. So that's that's got to be a positive. Yeah, Monty Phil, certainly at, at first blush, pretty positive numbers there on, on CapEx. I mean, up 1.9% in Q2. I think that's um, pushing to be triple, uh, pushing to be double consensus, sorry, if you're looking at the headline numbers. So I think there's probably mm. a couple of things to look at there in the detail, though. I think one thing in particular coming, these are Q2 numbers. So coming into the end of June, we had the expiry of some of the pandemic era um uh, accounting policies such as instant asset write-offs and fully expensing of some oh, of right. some capital things. So that that would have been a little bit of a nudge at the tail for 
for some of the uh, for some of the business expenditure in particular. So um, you know things like uh, I guess dual cab utes would be the the stereotypical thing that's seen a bit of a boost from that. So, but. Right. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably behind a little bit of it. So at the margin, you know, there, there's some of that that's left to roll off. But certainly, also, you know, capex intentions are also holding up as well. So, um, mm. so there's there is some sort of positive signs there. The business sentiment is still, you know, sort of reasonably, sort of sort of looking reasonably solid. Um, a bit more solid than you might have expected at this point in the cycle, had you. Yeah, sort of been asked this question, you know, six, six, eight months ago when we were mm. facing so many rate hikes. And consumers are backing off, though, even if business isn't. So slowing the growth uh, in the private sector credit year on year, it's gone from 8.6% down to 5.3% month on month. Housing credit uh, growing just 0.3% month on month. So, uh, yeah, it's soft. Yeah, so it would seem that, um, you know, cr- cr- credit costs are starting to have a little bit of an impact there. And we have been looking for lagged impacts of monetary policy and this is probably just another area where we are actually starting to see things bite and the, the sort of consumer is starting to is starting to see a little bit of pressure from or a lot of pressure from from rate hikes so right. far. but that's what's supposed to that's the way it's supposed to work isn't it you know they borrow less spend less uh, we get over the problem uh, hopefully uh, so let's look at what's happening in china though so the manufacturing pmi 49.3 last time it wasn't expected to move much but it's up to 49.7 within a whisker of being out of contraction territory, which is where it's been for the last five months. Uh, and uh, look, you know, last month we had a, it was a strong month for iron ore imports as well. So you put that together, those two together, and then say there's going to be more government action because we've seen a bit already. I mean, they could be returning to growth sooner rather than later, perhaps. Yeah, for all the negative news around the China property sector, I mean, which is certainly real and an ongoing story, the PMIs there told a little bit of a surprise there. Yeah, as you said, a little bit better in manufacturing. Um, also, you know, even within the non-manufacturing survey, uh, surprising, surprising rise in construction activity actually. So even though services have declined, the construction index up. I think fifty three point eight was the was the print there. So up, um, up about two and a half. Points. And what I think some of the analysts are pointing to is that that probably indicates there's been a bit of infrastructure activity going on. So, you know, property property activity has been pretty soft, obviously, but uh, maybe there's been a little bit of sort of low-key infrastructure going on. And look, just as we talked about with Australian CapEx being influenced by policy a little bit towards quarter end, some of the local government um, sort of funding stimulus measures that were put in place that help support some infrastructure spending, some of that is starting to come to near an end as well. So maybe there was a bit of a rush on infrastructure projects just to, just to spend some money. Um, but that certainly ties in with the iron ore story as well. So, you know, a bit, yeah, bit, of, a, bit of an yeah. offset. Lots of new bridges. Yes. Yeah. Bridges, <laughs> fast rail, could, could be anything going on up there. So, but, uh, but I mean, obviously that sort of plays into the relatively yeah. supportive commodity outlook, at yeah. least, at least. So. Yeah. And New Zealand, uh, a sign of hope, which a lot of hope on the podcast this morning. That's good for the end of the week, isn't it? So we had the ANZ business survey, business confidence in New Zealand uh, lifted nine points. That sounds good, but it still, it takes it to minus four. Uh, so still not that great. But there again, it is the best it's been for two years. So we should be happy about that. Yeah, a bit of a late cycle bounce there. Um, I mean, look, the QSBO survey is probably considered the more authoritative business survey over there, but that's only quarterly. The last read we got on that was um, in July. Obviously, the most recent news there has been, um, you know, has been a slowing in rate hikes from the RBNZ. No doubt businesses looking at the end of that, that's probably certainly helped with confidence as well. Um, yeah, there's, there's an election cycle going on there. You know, maybe that's influencing things as well. I think the, the sort of caution from our, Colleagues at being said is not necessarily to take too much from this. Um, yeah, that at, at best you probably sort of view it as um, 
as an easing of pessimism around further a further, further rate hikes give you a bit of a confidence boost at the end, but certainly it's not um right. It's less, it's not for telling a, a massive reacceleration in New Zealand. I don't right, think it's less bad. It's not good. It's less bad. And what I always find interesting in surveys like this is you ask businesses uh, what you know how they feel overall business confidences. They ranked it, ranked it at minus three point seven in this survey. Ask them about their own activity outlook, and they say eleven point two. So you know everyone's. <laughs> Tell everyone that their business is going to do just as well as every other business, and uh, then they'll assume the economy is going to do really well. But they just companies obviously assume they're doing much better than everybody else. They don't need economists; they need psychologists. I think that to sort that out. But anyway, uh, let's look at the United States core PCE. We know this is the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. Uh, it's not going down. It's not going up much either. It's sort of pretty flat. Uh, in fact, uh, but, you know, this is the smallest back-to-back growth increase since late 2020 because it's been 0.2% month-on-month for two months now. So it's slowing. That's got to be a good sign. Yeah, Fed Chair Powell mentioned in his uh, address to, to Jackson Hole that you shouldn't take too much comfort from just two two sort of decent core PCE <laughs> outcomes. But, yeah, but, you know, got three. So I still think his caution mm. applies. But certainly, um, look, the outlook there is moving in the right direction. Uh, particularly in terms of the overall measure. I mean, uh, looking at um, there's this super core measure that the Fed talks about, which I think is a core PCE, X services and and housing, I I think is that measure. Now, that interestingly is is now running at its highest level since January. So that's ticked up a bit. Although even then, mm-hmm. you know, once again with everything this morning, there's probably a few technical factors you can look at there. There was a lot of um, you know, portfolio management services have been a large part of that increase. So just due to some movements in stock prices. So even with that super core measure picking up a little bit, even that's probably not necessarily too much cause for concern. But I think it it can be sort of you, you can sort of look at that and and hold that against sort of a theory that yeah, if goods disinflation globally is starting to slow, um, and, and services inflation isn't coming off you know, quite as fast as, um, as as necessary, then this probably does point to this um, to to a, to a need to keep cash rates higher for longer. Not necessarily you need to get them too much higher. Um, yeah, but, but for longer. But, but, but yeah. for longer, and, yeah. And, and look, you know, more evidence as well that things are moving slowly. So initial jobless claims that we saw uh, last night, uh, they fell, you know, we'd be hoping they'd be going up. And then the Chicago PMI, um, that was all good in terms of, you know, the positives. Production was up, new orders up, but employment was up as well. Uh, so adding to that tightness in the labour market and also prices paid took quite a leap up as well. So, you know, uh, bits of bad news for the Fed there. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Chicago PMI can be bounced around a fair bit by Boeing aircraft orders. Yeah, I've, I've seen a few things. things in there, but certainly I think yeah. that's probably the, the interesting thing hidden in the detail there is that that, that, that increase in prices paid. So that's we're starting to see mm. that in a few of the different um, surveys, particularly out of the US, the PMIs have been showing that. The ISM, I think, has shown a few sort of hints, not necessarily that prices are rising per se, but certainly the declines have dramatically slowed. So that's a bit of a that's a bit of a caution there um, in terms of where you know, where inflation can sort of easily settle to. And you know, we may find out if we find ourselves bumping around the the high twos rather than two. You know, once again, that probably points to higher for longer, not not much higher in the short term. Yeah. So the higher for longer now has been likened to Table Mountain. We have to thank uh, Hugh Pill, the chief economist at uh, the Bank of England, because he's been talking in South Africa, obviously looking out the window for inspiration when he was talking about how, you know, that there's uh, the, the policy is in restrictive policy, in restrictive territory. He said there's a possibility of doing too much and then infl- inflicting unnecessary damage on employment and growth. So I think people are taking that as a sign that maybe the Bank of England isn't going to take 
go too much further. Uh, but he called, you know, what he's seeing a table mountain profile for UK rates. And I think this would apply just about everywhere else, wouldn't it? So flat for some time, then dropping quickly. Uh, so that's that's his inspiration. Yeah, the, um, the 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 cup of puns will will runneth over on this one into the medium term. I think. Well, I'm but, just glad um, he wasn't looking out the window at the base camp for Mount Everest, which uh, some people <laughs> might might think where we are right well, now. Well, the um, well, particularly for for Europe. The, the positive positive alternative for cash rate profile was actually the, the Matterhorn. So uh, clearly, he had his <laughs> mind still back in Europe to some extent. But I um, mean, turning to to what he actually said though. Um, yeah, interestingly, there was a big rush of sort of relatively hawkish headlines um, on on the screens out of that speech initially. Um, you know, talking about inflation remaining too high, no room for complacency. Um, once people sort of actually started to, to get in and, and read the speech a little bit more, it actually sort of became clear there. Yeah, the the, 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 the table mountain profile was mentioned, and that yeah, arguably he was sort of leaving room there that he could be comfortable with it, with maybe the BOE even uh, even pausing for for a little while from here. I mean, I, that's not his core view not necessarily sort of his choice to make per se but um mm. but at the, at the margin um a little bit more of a dovish speech than um than some of the initial headlines suggested yeah. and perhaps more dovish than isabel snable we'll come on to her in a moment from the ecb but we had i mean in european inflation is a concern isn't it so the headline rate for france has moved from 4.3 percent up to 4.8 percent even though household consumption there has slowed the euro area result shows a headline rate of 5.3%. So it's stuck where it was in July, although the core rate has moved down from 5.5% to 5.3%. Uh, it's moved down a bit. You know, it's all happening very slowly, isn't it? And we had the ECB minutes out yesterday saying a further rate hike in September would be necessary if there was no convincing evidence that the effect of the cumulative tightening was strong enough to bring down underlying inflation. So I'm just wondering if, if if they'll be satisfied that this has come down enough or whether, you know, a, a, a rate hike in September this month now seems more possible than not. Yeah, certainly the Eurozone CPI numbers in the end, there had been a little bit of a little bit of fear that they would come in a, a bit hotter than expected just on the basis of some of the national and to the German state CPIs out yesterday. But ultimately, as you said, you printed in line. I think the market has scaled back its expectations of Eurozone rate hikes a little bit. On the on the back of that, and um, certainly, you know, Schnabel's speech so they did sound a bit more hawkish than um, than what he than how Hugh Pill was talking. But I think you know, on the margin, yeah, she's sort of been seen closer to the more hawkish end of the spectrum. So for her to be even countenancing any um, yeah, sort of any any meaningful chance of a slowdown was seen was seen as a bit of as a bit of a change from her. So I mean, at the did moment, she say the much really? Pro- and let me quote from her because she said yeah. we cannot predict where the peak rate is going to be or for how long rates will have to be held at restrictive levels. We also cannot commit to future actions. So, but basically, she's committing to absolutely nothing. Is what she's saying? Well, that's at least it's not committing to a, to a guarantee of uh, of needing to go higher. So well, I mean, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, one way the, of looking at it. I guess. Yeah. Pricing for the eurozone has pulled. There's still there's well under one full hike priced in um in for the ECB now. So I mean I think that's probably still at the that that probably still does seem too low to me. I think um there's there's probably almost certainly a need to be at least one more come through there. And there's only six points priced in September now, so it's it's pulled back. But I think um, yeah that's also in line with I guess sort of the global mood over the past couple of weeks um or the past week or so at least with that yeah the jolts number the other night is sort of set bond markets on sort of a more um on a trend towards lower 
lower rates. I guess that's the prism through which most markets are being observed. So, okay, so Europe is, the ECB is still in the cable car on the way up to Table Mountain. We could have so much fun with this, couldn't we? Lots uh, lots to <laughs> doubt. And we can, the question, question is, is, uh, is the Fed as well? Uh, so Australian home loans and the uh, the RBA, who's in the, how many people are in that cable car? Uh, look, Australian home loans for July, the Beijing Manufacturing PMI for China, UK house prices, uh, Canada's GDP for Q2, but the big one, obviously, non-farm payrolls, including the unemployment rate, and uh, the average hourly earnings. I mean, that's going to be watched very closely. Yes, I think the consensus is for average hourly earnings to drop back a little bit in the, the month-to-month pace. Unemployment rate, this is all US, obviously, to hold at, um, to hold at 3.5. So, um, yeah, there's, the markets hasn't sort of got outsized expectations, but clearly it's a key number. So I think on the Australian data too, I mean, I'm not commenting specifically on housing loans data, but yeah, overnight, just as a, as a vague feed into that, we did get some CoreLogic Australian house price data, once again, showing pretty sort of pretty reasonable sort of still pickup in, in acceleration in, in house prices in a lot of in a lot of capital cities. So once again, pointing to the weak supply mm. story, but um, yeah, we'll be interested to see whether yeah. what's going on there. I can't imagine um, housing financing has, uh, has accelerated wildly, though. So. No, it hasn't. So, yes, I mean, at some point, that's a, that's <laughs> good. That, there's got to be a reality's got to strike, hasn't it? There's just not the money to pay for them anymore. Anyway, we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Ken. We'll catch you again very soon. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. And that is it for the morning call for this morning. But, of course, if you subscribe to the morning call, you will get the weekend edition dropped in the same place where you get this from. And that'll be this afternoon, ready for your weekend listening. And I'll be back again for a regular edition as well on Monday morning for another edition of the Morning Call weekday edition. Uh, That's it for me. I'm Phil Dobby for now. See you whenever. Goodbye.